All right, with filmmaker Christopher Corella, Speed is the short film, play the documentary film festival. Really interesting film uh, about Saul Eisenberg, uh, who's a musician performer, and he turns uh, junk, I guess, into instruments. I guess that would be the teaser of your of your film, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. He um he goes to uh, scrapyards. He drives around London, and he comes across uh, stuff that people discard, throw away. And he turns it into, he turns that, that, those things that he finds into just incredible sounding musical instruments that you just, you just couldn't believe that that kind of sound would come out something like that. Yeah, yeah well, we saw the, the movie. It's kind of amazing. There's a lot of thematics and metaphors for this film. Uh, for you, when you're putting it all together, well, it started at the end. Did you like have a thematic kind of like a through line? Like what were, for you, what was the meaning of the film for you? What were you trying to say? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, I think what it what it came to mean to, for me, the film uh, was that um, out of out of something that we don't want, out of ugliness, somebody um, is beavering away and making something beautiful in a city, and it's almost unnoticed. People people didn't really people don't know Saul's there until they you know require him or hire him or need him, and um, you know. It was the the hidden gems, the backstreet gem of a city. I think is what it came to mean to me, and I, I think at, uh, from the very beginning it meant that actually. But that just crystallised as we went along, or, or clarified as we went along. I mean, I, I the way I met Saul, um, I was I was walking my sister's dogs, or we just moved back from the states, and uh, Saul was working away in his garage, and all you, all you can hear when you're walking past his garage is this like industrial. Uh, tools banging away and drilling away and whirring away and I hear this like banging away I'm thinking oh someone's fixing something in there or whatever and then suddenly it stops the banging and you hear a beautiful scale that resonates just to the core of your being I mean even the dogs were like oh, what was that you know and, and I thought I've got to ask what the hell this is you know excuse my language and I, and I, I poked my head under the door and I just said you know just kind of mind you I ask you what are you doing here and he just simply said, I'm building musical instruments. I said, in this little garage, you're building that that thing? And he was making a scaffolder phone, a scaffolder phone. Out yeah. of big, long scaffolding uh, metal poles that were just thrown away. And he, he'd cut them up into a scale. I mean, these big, industrial, rough-looking things making a sound that moves your soul. And, uh, you know, I just thought, people need to see this. You know, whether they're interested or not, they need to see that and see how this is happening under their noses in this city. And he's making a living at it, which blows my mind. You know? So uh, I guess we have to thank your sister's dogs for the making of this film then. That's right, yeah, Snoopy and Ginger. They, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, they were the ones, because I was walking her dogs and uh, there I was. And you know, to, to be fair, I mean, really the film is Sol. I mean, he, I just facilitated what he does. You know, I just like, I kind of tried to explain. And, you know, I only exposed a fraction, I feel. I mean, I didn't have the budget or the time at that time to fully explore him. But I feel like, um, you know, he, he was so open to being... Uh, and I think he immediately trusted me because he was quite kind of astonished that I would be so interested in this. He's he just like, you know, dude, I'm just making some musical instruments. So what, you know, and I... And this is amazing. And he was like, oh, it's nothing. you know." And even when he first saw the documentary, he's like, people aren't going to be interested in this. You yeah. know, why are they 
did in me. Mate, because you're incredible. You're an absolute, and he's so authentic. What you see is him. And that's what I wanted to do. Like I thought the one thing I don't want to do is reality television. I want to do a documentary of cinema verite, something that's as close to the truth, whatever that means, as possible. And I feel like that's that's the difference between documentary and, say, a rea- reality TV show, is that even if it's called unscripted drama, it, it's a construct. Whereas a documentary is something that reacts to what happens, unfolds in front of it. And, you know, you can't pretend that you're not there and you can't pretend that you're not having an effect, but you, you can respond to what's unfolding as opposed to constructing what's about to unfold, if that. And there's a, you know, really huge difference there, obviously. Yeah, 100%. So, okay, so you, you met him, you're walking your dog, uh, your sister's dogs, you met him, you talked to him for a bit. And then when does it come to you where, like, I'm going to, let's, I, I want to talk to him about making a film. How did that come about? Almost immediately. I mean, I didn't discuss it with him immediately, but I thought to myself, I, I need to, I need to make a film here. This is, you know, I'm a writer. I like drama. I like uns- I like scripts. Um, and I never made a documentary, but I love documentaries, and I love the BBC documentaries that I grew up with in the seventies and eighties, revealing my age there. And uh, and there was one guy. Uh, um, God, I've got his name now, but anyway, he was a, he was a steeplejack. And this BBC documentary just followed him doing his job, which was incredible, which was climbing up these huge steeples and knocking them down. Mm. And I love the way they just allowed it to happen and allowed him to talk about himself and what he, why he's doing it. And, and I thought, this, that's something, that's the way I want to go with this, you know. And, um, and I, I think that's where we went with it, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting because you're talking about those films that it's a different world now because you can, it's like they were shooting on 35 millimeter film. Uh, so they had to be very precise of what they were shooting. And then now you can kind of shoot all day long, right? And then kind of figure it out in the editing room. So that makes sense. But I mean, you know, which is a good point because, you know, and the thing is, I edited this as well. And, you know, you can be cruel to your editor and just shoot everything. Yeah. And, you know, and that poor guy or girl is going to have to sift through that and, and and ingest it uh, to really get the best out of that material. I mean, I guess I was at an advantage in that sense is that I knew what I was shooting, I knew what I shot. And so I, you know, I was kind of editing it in my head as we were going. And, um, you know, I really, I realized that I really needed to, um, I I I thought I could, I thought I could do it rather naively in a couple of months, you know? Yeah. And I'd cover it and, but, as I was saying earlier, you don't want to you don't want to construct what's happening. So you have to react to that person's timetable. You have to respect that person's craft and their time. And Saul has his way of working, and he's an artist, and you have to respect that. And with you know, especially if you're documenting him, and so you want to you you, you know, so he'll have something going on, and you'd latch onto it. Other times he you couldn't latch onto it, and, and so it, and in the end, it took about eight or nine months of shooting for me to kind of go. And over, I mean, it's not like I shot intensively in that time. It was like once mm-hmm. every two weeks or three weeks. And, you know, we'd do this. I'd set it up. Sometimes it would fall through. Sometimes it wouldn't because he's a very busy guy. And he likes it that way. Yeah. That's how his mind works. He likes to have loads of projects going on at the same time. And he likes to finish things in one hit. Like he's going to make a tank drum. He does. I said, how long is this going to take? Like a week? He's like, no, no, I'm going to do it in one hit. Not even a lunch break. 
he'll just go two hours, boom, do it, and he's sweating. Yeah. And then he'll grab coffee, have something to eat, and, and he'll kind of decompress. And he can't, and he, he said to me, I, I got a real, he said he got a real buzz us filming him in the sense that, that he's so used to working alone or just with another craftsman that the fact that we were there observing him changed the dynamic for him internally and externally. And yeah. he liked it, but it, it was, it was, it was, it was intense, not in a negative way, in a wonderful way, but it was very intense experience while you're in the room with him. It's so, you know, because he's having to find a little pitch here. And as he says at the end, it's not about if it's machines make everything perfect. The whole point is that he makes he makes perfection out of imperfection. Mm. So he find and even he says, like, so if that note is quite or even if it's technically correct, he just has to move it a little bit so it can sound right in that context. So it's kind of organic in that way. And and that's you know, that's what really appeals to me about him. Yeah, one of the sort of my follow one of my follow up questions is that because he seems like a guy who works for himself and he spends hours on end by himself, it must have been a certain personality would not like to be filmed, <laughs> like have a film crew kind of like observing yeah, yeah. him. But it seems like he seems like he like you said he 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 changed that creative dynamic for himself and said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace this. I'm gonna embrace the uh, Christopher coming in and, and shooting me right. Exactly. And I think that's his raison d'etre in life in general. He, he's a very, and that's why he works so well with children and with families. Chil, I, I, you know, in watching him in the flesh, he sees the children really respond to his work and his him and his energy. They respond to it because it's very pure and it, it's, it's for its own sake. And there's no agenda to it other than, you know, enjoyment and feel and like just get into the groove, get in, like he says, get into the, you know, and that was thrilling watching the watching the garden, um, you know. The, um, so, how did he react when you uh, when you asked him? I'm I'm thinking I want to make a documentary film about you. What was his reaction? He's like, go for it. I kind of played it down. I said, I'm just going to do a little bit, <laughs> you know, yeah. not and, and it, not you know. I knew it would take a couple of months, but I I didn't think it would take as long as it did, and you know. And I remember one time when I, I filmed uh, him um, playing with the junk orchestra outside his garage. I use it in the film, him and Booty, who's a great guy. And I filmed it from the front and I did it. And then I said, do you, having said I don't construct anything, which I didn't, but I said, do you mind if I just film it again, but from the rear side so I can have a cut? And they were like, yeah, sure thing. And instead of turning the camera on, I turned it off and um, missed the rear view. And, and in a panicky state, I thought, oh, God, I need to do that again. And I phoned him. I said, do you mind if we do that again? And he was like, oh, geez, man, no, I can't do it again. You know? And I said, no, please, please. And he said, okay, okay. And then we left it a couple of weeks because he was busy. I said, but we worked with the provider that we'd do it again. Uh, and then I, I realized I didn't need to do it again. I, I, I'm just, you know, stop trying to find something. Stop trying to make something perfect. Find what you Find what you got. And I think also, I mean, I might be, people might disagree with this, but I think also the documentary has to be also be about what you see, not what you wished you'd see, not what you, what you kind of feel you should see, but what you actually see. And like doing, so you have to be really careful about doing stuff again. So I like the organic kind of feel that, you know, and mistakes, people, you know, mistakes are relative. Some people look at a mistake and think, that's genius, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, and other people look at that and say, oh, that's, that's awful. You know? So it really is relative. 
Okay, so how does the, this gentleman make uh, make a living? Because it seems like, okay, so he goes and gets junk. I'm just trying to think of from a practical sense. He yeah. finds stuff, he finds junk, and then you, you the way you even film the film is like you're showing his little projects, right? Like the certain instruments that he's making. And then he makes the instrument. Does someone want him to come to him and say, I want <coughs> instrument or he makes the instrument organically and then he sells it like what's the what, what's the process for this gentleman yeah that's a good question it, yeah, i think it changed over the years he i think he made most of his money before um <coughs> excuse me through um touring with the junk orchestra schools uh, and this is pre-covid um schools and he would make instruments for sale on a limited basis, because it was quite time intensive, you know, making these instruments. But touring schools, touring um, festivals like the one that you see him in and several ones, obviously he would get paid for that and make money that way. But I, during COVID, funnily enough, um, he sold the water phones really well. They started, re especially in the USA and North America. <laughs> and I think in the USA, people embrace things like that. Um, they, they love unusual things like that, especially um, when it's from another country and, and they feel like they're, they're getting something that's unique and authentic. And I think with a water phone like that, you are getting something really unique. And he made loads over, over lockdown um, and, you know, because he had no other business. And suddenly people were spending time at home. Yeah. They were exploring the internet and, and finding new things. And that's one of the strangely positive things about um, COVID. And, and people were being creative too, right? They wanted to be creative during lockdown, yeah. Yeah. So I think that helped him a boon. And, you know, he's, he's such an interesting cat. I mean, the pizza restaurant next door to him, you know, he fixed their refrigerators because, you know, he can fix anything. He refixed their refrigerators and they give him free pizza and free coffee every day. He, um, his boiler broke down at home. He dismantled his boiler and put it back together again. He had to cancel one of our meetings. I'm phoning him and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And I saw we're supposed to be here in an hour or so, everything called. And he's like, mate, I can't make it today. I'm just in the process of reassembling my boiler. And that's a really, <laughs> really, um, and he's not a plumber. He's not an no. engineer. And he, he fixed his boiler. And the next time I saw him, I said, so how was the boiler? He said, oh, perfect. Works beautifully now. Yeah. How old's that boiler? He's like, I don't know, about 15 years old. I just took it apart and put it back together, fixed it. It's blown my mind. I was like, how did you? I mean, I wouldn't even think to do that. Yeah. And he, well, he's able to, to turn his hand at anything that requires construction or, you know, things like that. It's just the way his mind works. Well, there's a there's a form of brilliance or, or genius in him, obviously, because he can see random parts and then be, be able to take randomness and turn turn it into something, something practical and magical or creative or like not many people, not many human beings on Earth are able to to do that. That's right? a lovely so. way of putting it, Matthew. I, I really like that way of putting it. I think he does see things in that way. He can see that. And also when you talk to him about movies or books or any TV show. I'm like, did you like, I mean, I, I, I watched Dune, the new Dune, which I loved, I thought was amazing. And I, I said to him, oh, what did you think of that movie Dune? And he's like, oh, loved it, loved it. I said, well, what did you like? Did you like the story and the acting? He's like, no. I just love the colors. Yeah. And he sat there for two hours just looking at the colors. Well, did you like the story? He said, I don't really pay attention to the story. I just, I just really enjoyed the colors. I like, that's incredible. I mean, he, yeah. so he can find, he sees things in a different way than certainly in the way I do, you know, and 
you know, more power to his elbow. I wish I could see things some way in that way. You know, I think he's got a real vision and he responds to sounds. So yeah. it seems like you were you respect this this gentleman a great deal. Even the way you said because you wanted to do a quick film in terms of like the documentary, it's he's an interesting subject, and it seems like you took your time to make yeah. a great film because and you did. It's a great it's a great short documentary film. That's because you wanted to, you res I think it was like maybe I'm projecting, but it seems like you're you just respected him so much that you yes. wanted to make sure that he get he's respected in the film, I guess. Very much so, very much. I mean, and, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't have to sort of go out my way to make that make him look, you know, great because he really does, you know. But my buddy who did the uh, sound design, Patrick, he's just like, I just want to go for a beer with this guy. <laughs> I was like, you would want to go. But no, I do. Res I respect his. I respect his craft. I respect that he's he's so devoted to what he does. I respect that he's doing. He's he's taking. He's not costing the world anything. You know, yeah. he takes stuff that we throw away. He 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 recycles everything he doesn't use. Takes it to the metal yard, and he, he gets back. So he's he's putting more in than he's taking. Yeah, and good God, I mean. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone did that? Or well, how many people on how many people on this planet do that? Especially in the Western world, I know I don't do that. It's like we're with so much crap in the world, right? That we're just throwing away, and yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I pat myself on the back for recycling a few plastic. No, I I do too, but I'm, I'm <laughs> but we have so much stuff. Like we do. We, and we, we even if we donate it, it's like they throw most of that stuff away too, right? It's very sad if you really break it down. It is. It's, we live in a very disposable time, and yeah. even like my father was uh, um, many things, but he he ran a factory for many years in London, uh, making dresses, making little girls' dresses. And the dresses that he made back then in the day, in the eighties, they they lasted a kid a long time. I mean, he, they were they weren't you know Hermes or anything, like that, but they were well made. It was well constructed clothing. Now you buy clothes; it's very disposable. They last a season and you know, throw them away. You know, people are shocked that I have T-shirts that are ten years old. You know, so I, I don't yeah, like clothes. Like for someone who has kids, it's like these clothes they you they you wash them two twice and then they're like they're like like disintegrating. Like yeah, yeah. Everything's set up like even like like uh, I remember refrigerators. I remember having a refrigerator in my in my uh, garage as a kid. That was like from the 1920s, right? Yeah, and it's still going. <laughs> it's still going, but now it's yeah. like the refrigerators last 10 years tops, right? 10 years, if you're lucky. If yeah. you're lucky, you're going to like... Well, they, they usually last till the warranty expires. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 100%. That's the game, right? It's it's all a capitalistic uh, art form, right? Like it's about making as much money as possible. I think that's right, and I think we're headed towards a, a sort of... A backlash against that neoliberalism if you will and i don't want to sort of go too political but i feel like there is a connection i mean we this world in which everything is disposable and there's this guy in this city taking not taking out but putting back in even using stuff that we that most of society deems as useless and whereas the the raison d'etre of neoliberalism and and is to produce and dispose produce dispose produce and and create as much wealth as possible and supposedly it trickles down but we all know that's not happening. So I think in a sense, in a way, it's a, there's a critique of that within this narrative, I guess, if you will. You know, I know it's not overt, but I feel like it's, I think that's in a lot of creative people's minds, people who are writing, people who are creating narrative and story. 
I think that's in the back of their minds, whether they whether they think it or not, or believe or agree with it. You know, yeah, are rebelling against something at the moment, and I hope we should. I think we should. So the, the, just in the question of this film, uh, it's twenty three minutes long. It could be longer, but you did, were, did you all? What were you thinking about uh, the timeline? Were you thinking like, because you spent a lot yeah. of time on it, right? Like, were you thinking a feature or like, because it's like that if you did, you got to expand kind of the, the narrative. But what was your yeah, idea I, of like nailing it down to twenty three minutes? My idea was short. I I would have loved to have made an hour long documentary or or longer or two parts or whatever, but I just didn't have the money or the time, and I didn't want to impose on Saul without being able to sort of, you know, make it worth his while, you know. And I just felt I had to move on because I, I did I did do it more or less totally alone. I I met I hired a. Um, camera operator for a couple of days anchor lovely woman you know and but i just best will in the world just couldn't afford to hire her for the amount of you know the months on end that i was shooting and so you know there is a fatigue element sets in and you start to think you start to get foggy and um i, I felt like i have to come to a natural end to this make that i would love to um work again with saul and i i you know We've mentioned a couple of things and, you know, there's a lot of directions one can go with that as a, you know, for television uh, as opposed to festival. I think this was a more creative thing. Uh, maybe do something more commercial next time with it. So that's bring it to a wider audience in terms of, you know, it, it depends how you want to present it. It could become a reality show. It could become something different. Yeah. Um, and it would still serve its purpose where it, it actually promotes that message of recycling, authenticity, putting in more than you're taking out and creating something that has beautiful, beautiful sounds. Yeah. Yeah. That's the feature, right? Like, but like expanding that narrative, that's the feature that of the, of within the context of the short is like expanding into like what we're really talking about here is that this gentleman is, we have so much crap, right? Like so much junk, we're throwing so much away. It's not good. (laughs) <laughs> and this this person is like you said like the, the 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 narrative is that he's he's basically he's not he's basically most of us in the world are are take are like are are throwing stuff away and like and like contribute to the crap and he's basically doing the opposite right so absolutely and the other thing i will say if we have touched just quickly is that there's yeah. he wasn't the only one i spoke to in terms of build he introduced me to a couple of other guys i'm Ooh. sure yeah and this other guy called Will, who moved away, and I actually filmed a little segment for him, which I, I will just post on YouTube as a follow-up for people who are interested. Um, but again, if I'd had the sort of um, greater budget in terms of like to make something longer, I would have perhaps have incorporated various people and gone on a different journey or, or a bigger journey. But I thought in practical terms, as the first installment of this, I, I figure a, a 23 minute film on keeping it to one subject was manageable and was was enough for the time being to sort of um, you know, give people uh, to pique people's interest. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. What did he think? You said what did, when he when he watched the film, what was his reaction to it? You were kind of saying that he was like, "Are people going to be care about this?" Like, it's interesting. It's so funny because uh, he, I. He, um, I wouldn't say he liked the film 
particularly. I, and I don't think he didn't dislike the film. I think he liked the film. But again, like I say, he looks at things in a different way. And I think he thought, why would people be interested in this? And I said, and I saw really people are interested and people will be interested. And everyone I've shown it to, they think, you know, you're such an interesting guy and what you do is fascinating. And he just couldn't get his head around that. And then when um, it started getting some festival traction, I showed it to Booty as well, who's in the film, and he, he, was, he was like, it's, it's fine, don't worry. You know, he, he, he just, you know, it's not really what he understands at the moment. And then now that it's got a bit of festival traction and he's kind of, I think he enjoys it, he's enjoyed it ultimately. Yeah. But there is this thing, when, you're, when you are filmed, especially when it's you as opposed to acting and it's a documentary, when he first saw it, I think it slightly freaked him out. I think he's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is yeah. all about 22 minutes, all about me, basically. Yeah. And I think if someone had shot me for 22 minutes, I would be, oh gosh, you know, I feel a bit uncomfortable here. So I think if you're the subject of the documentary, it takes a while for that thing to process and settling. I mean, there was that very interesting filmmaker, again, I've forgotten her name. She made um, a documentary about Vivian Westwood. And it wasn't very, um, it wasn't at all damning or anything. It was a really interesting documentary, but Vivian Westwood hated it. And I think the filmmaker said that, you know, she just couldn't quite handle seeing so much of herself all in one go. I think it, and I can understand that. I think that's tough. You know, I think that's a difficult thing to swallow if you're, if you're not an actor or you're not used to being in. You're not a narcissist, yeah. Or a narcissist, indeed, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so. so what did you think about the audience we sent the audience to you what did you think about what they had to say about your film oh gosh that's good job you weren't filming yeah, I brought a tear to my eye I have to say it was it was wonderful um, just if you're a filmmaker you know I mean you just want people to watch the film and to react to it uh, in all honesty and but honestly, I wouldn't have minded if I'd heard some negative stuff or even some, you know, oh, I didn't like that bit or I like that bit. But in fact, everyone was just very, you know, kind about the film and, and, and they got it. And I, that's what really blew my mind, actually, is I'm like, geez, people actually got it. They really got the, they really got the message and they really, got the, they really connected with him and connected with the material and connected with what it meant and what it was trying to say, as you have. And... Um, that kind of is always a bit of a show. You think, oh, wow, it actually works. <laughs> it's like, you know, I guess the first time some, you know, guy did the first radio broadcast, like, are you hearing me? And someone said, yes, I can hear you. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's amazing. They can hear me. <laughs> you know? So it's it was kind of like that. And it did, it, you know, because you do work hard on something. And this was a labour of love. I mean, I I'm not, didn't do it for money. Um, so... It was nice to sort of like for people to, because, you know, you do something for money, you get paid and, oh, you know, hopefully people like it. They don't like it. At least you're yeah. paid. But you do this for, um, you do this for love or because you really feel like it should go out there. And when um, I got the reaction, I thrilled to bits, absolutely thrilled to bits. Couldn't, couldn't tell you how thrilling it was. And, you know, they got it. So. Yeah, that's what it's about. So the film's doing well on the on the festival circuit. Then it's it's uh, it's getting some traction. Yeah, it's doing well. I, um, um, it's into um, three festivals so far, um, and hopefully we'll get into a few more. It's registered. It's, it's um, on IMDb now, and so it's a real thing. It's a proper film. 
And, um, you know, hopefully moving forward, I, I just, all I want is for as many people to watch it as possible. I mean, if I can get you know, 100 people to watch it, 300,000, more the more the better. Just want people to watch it and, you know, find out who he is and, and you know, connect with him. I mean, you know, put, um, just if you look him up, John Cork, just all Eisenberg, he's got plenty of stuff on his, he's got a website and he's a very open human being and he's authentic and any work you buy from him or view from him, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, and evening with the universe, my God, I mean, we went to see them and, um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful evening and the, the audience reaction was huge and, and his, you know, I mean, even his bandmates, it was, were just, you know, they didn't even know how to describe him, you know, when they introduced the band, you know, we've got the him on drums and then, he just does his thing, but you know that's all he said. Yeah, yeah. Because he's got these incredible and the noises and the, the sounds that he made and and the jazz elements you know, fused with brass bands and I don't know. It was just extraordinary. And, you know, you just think, just well, why aren't these guys, you know, at the Royal Albert Hall? Maybe one day, who knows? Well, congratulations on the film. I obviously, like you said, you're. I know you you seem to be very passionate about documentary film and uh so hopefully you keep making movies obviously there's a bigger story here it's all i know it's about time budget all etc but there is a gigantic story here in terms of like people kind of turning nothing into something or turning disposable yep. things into something like there's you, you you know like i said it's like i i i i, I i'm very this uh very saddened about even like the the goodwill places where like they just throw most of the stuff away right like it's like yeah. they, you know what i mean it's just something there's something very disheartening about the world that we're living in now right but yeah. that's what i mean but it seems like you're you're not telling people not telling people what to think or feel in the, in this film you're just showing them this this gentleman yeah. but it makes us wonder like what are we doing with our stuff right so it kind of inspires yeah. us watching yeah. this gentleman, exactly. right? Yeah. exactly absolutely so me amazing short film may really amazing so i hope to talk to you again hopefully you can keep making movies because uh obviously you're doing some you're doing some special things bless you bless you thank you so much thank you so much thank you one two three four five six seven eight shlemiel shlemazo hasenbeck incorporated